Thanks for coming up to another Live at the Grafton. We've got a good crowd here tonight because we've got a very important performer. We've got Andy Cohen here with us. And uh, when I mentioned to, to Mark Dvorak that uh, Andy's co Cohen is coming, he said, that's one of the American masters. Ken Burns has got it all wrong. He should do a show about him. So, well, I'm no Ken Burns, but this is, this is the show. So, uh, Andy, why don't you play a couple songs, and I'll come up and we'll talk. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. This one's for you. This one's for you. We've got a lot of people here from the Old Town School where Big Bill Brunzi's guitar is sitting there, there and out in front of God and everybody in a glass case. I have played that guitar when I was 15 years old in Sharon, Massachusetts, a suburban dork. <laughs> my chubby spinster librarian in my high school gave me Sonny Terry, Brown and McGee, Big Bill Brunzi, and Studs Terkel on WFMT and said, you like things like this. Here, why don't you go listen to this? She do a little this pretty 
Lady Papa Welch do a little line When she gets to move and make a freight train jump the track came to the right place. <laughs> Sitting right over there is my friend and manager, Michael Frank, who built an entire career for Jim Brewer and for, for Honey Boy Edwards. I went to school at the University of Illinois on a partial gymnastics scholarship. I lost the scholarship. I got into the civil rights movement and blue. Black lives have always mattered for me.
mama Like grandfather rolled his wagon wheel It's all over the plantation Father rolled his wagon wheel Ruby Mama You know it how it makes me feel Lucky to have you tonight. Um, I want you know you talked a little bit about where you grew up and stuff like that. And one thing, I, sometimes I think about. I was talking to Eddie Holstein, and he said everybody around him was playing rock and roll, at, you know, a party, and he'd he'd put on like a Library of Congress work song or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, that, that would have been me. And, and then you know, and so he was like some alien somewhere, and yeah. and then you know, all of a sudden he found you know his group. Yeah. yeah what, what what was that like for you? You know, were there people around it was you? Exactly that, that way. Yeah. The, the I had three three folk four folk singers in my family. You know, cousins and uncles and stuff. They they were folk singers from the '30s. You know, the 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 the, the Alan Lomax, the first Alan Lomax inspired revival in the '30s, and then. There was another one going on in the 60s. It never really died away. It just kind of, you know, spread gently and inexorably like a mycelium through the society. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the Old Town School is one of its great mushrooms, <laughs> I have to say. The Old Town School, I pay homage to the Old Town School every time I'm in Chicago. And has done so much to keep so many people, so much folk music played, not listened to, played, played. Good for you, good for the Old Town School. So where were you hanging out and playing? Where was the where were you first playing folk uh, music with people? Oh, uh, I don't know. I would, I would play anywhere people would listen to me. You know, uh, the first job I got playing out 
uh, I went to University of Illinois down in Champaign. Ostensibly, I was supposed to be on the gymnastics team, but uh, th that was the year. The next year was Selma, the March, Selma March, and I went on that, and that was the end of all that nonsense. Um, so I, uh, I got a gig playing piano, playing ragtime piano at the Village Inn Pizza Parlor. <laughs> and I think they paid me $4 an hour and all the pizza I could eat. Uh, I, I've never really been any kind of big business and I really don't want to be. I'm much, I'd much rather play the Village Inn Pizza Parlor and talk to real people that are eating real pizza. <laughs> then try and teach something to, to 10,000 people at once. I don't see how anybody can possibly do that. I mean, I could teach all of these people mm -hmm. something very valuable. Can I do that? Yeah, let's, let's okay. do it. I'm going to teach you something very valuable. This is what you do if you're at a rally and you get a bunch of Trump hecklers across the street. Okay. See, this is what you say to them. I want everybody to repeat after me, come down and see me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Very good. Come down and see me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast for you come. Eat your breakfast for you come. Bring your dinner in your hand. No, I'm from Memphis. We say Hain, Hain, H-A-N-E, Hain. Bring your dinner in your Hain and get out before supper time. Okay. And they'll just go away like so many little birdies. Come down, see me sometime. Come down, see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come. Bring your dinner in your hand. Get out before supper time. Sing. Come down, see me sometime, why don't you? Eat your breakfast before you come, bring your dinner in your hand, get out before. I had a little bag, it was made of gold, strings was made with twine, and the only song that I ever could sing, I wish the prettiest gal was mine. Say, come down and see me sometime, why don't you? Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come, bring your dinner in your hand, get out before it's up time. That's my favorite lick. I like it so much, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna do it right this time. Well, a jaybird died with a hooping cough. Sparrow died with the colic. The cat come back with the fiddle on his back. He's a marching on down to the frolic. Say, come down and see me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come. Bring a dinner in your hand. Get out before supper time. Well, a rich gal drives in a Cadillac car. Poor gal drives in a Ford. My gal, she gets around town riding on an old skateboard. Say, Come down and see me sometime Come down and see me sometime Eat your breakfast before you come Break a dinner in your hand Get out before you come down You know, 
I met a pretty gal walking down the street. And I said, honey, would you be my wife? Well, a boyfriend. Come up with a Winchester rifle. Try to run me out of all of my life. Hey! Come down and see me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come. Bring your dinner and you then get out before supper time. I got out the hospital and I was feeling my Cheerios again. I went down my best gal's house and this is what happened. I went down my best gal's house. She just gone to bed. I pulled off my clothes to get near with her. Got a bitch slide side of my head. Hey, come down and see me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come. Bring your dinner in your hand. See me sometime. Come down and see me sometime. Eat your breakfast before you come. Bring your dinner in your head. Get out before it's supper time. Well, thank you. So you were you were into the protest movement and stuff, right? Sort of. I realized, see, my dad was a labor lawyer, so I grew up with the idea that one person working was better than seven people scratching. And the best thing that I could do, from my peculiar vantage point, whatever that was, best thing I could do was get the old guy's work. And once I dropped out of school and got running, mm -hmm. that's what I did. I managed to, I, I, I became a professional lead boy mm -hmm. for about 30 years, taking Jim around different places. Uh, one time, Michael and I stuffed about 19 of these guys into a Winnebago and took off across the country. Uh, who, was in the, who was in the Winnebago? Who was in the Winnebago? Fris Holloway and John D. Holman from North Carolina, who played Blind Boy Fuller kind of blues on a guitar and piano and sang it. And they also did the damnedest ham bone you ever saw. And they, could, they were great dancers. And then we had Jim Brewer, who we talked about already. He's the one that made that song about ain't gonna plant no more cotton, ain't gonna plant no more corn. Uh, we had him and Reverend Dan Smith. And at that point, Jim was playing an auto harp. Now, I happen to have that auto harp with me. Not with me here, but it's in, it's over at Eric Johnson's house. I had it rebarred and restrung, and I'm gonna play Jim's as soon as they figure out how to do it, how he did it, I'm gonna play some of Jim's things. Uh, Reverend Dan Smith, who came from Alabama, uh, Daniel Womack, uh, Brother Daniel Womack, the gospel jubilee singer, 
from Roanoke, Virginia, the Star City of the South, was his full title. Uh, and he was one who became blind through retinitis pigmentosa, kind of middle way through his adolescence. Uh, so he remembered, you know, having vision, but he didn't have any when I knew him. He said, he was very interesting about it. He had gone to the blind schools. Now get this, folks. Down south, the blind schools were segregated. <laughs> I like the way these people think. And so the Raleigh School for the Blind that Riley Puckett went to to learn piano tuning was a different Raleigh School for the Blind than the one that um, uh, Blind Willie McTell went to a few years later. There were two different schools. Daniel said that it was the custom in blind schools, one of the, they were, a lot of them were blind and deaf schools. The kids there were either blind or deaf or mute or both or all three. And they got along. There was a kind of hand signing, hand in hand signing like this, that the blind kids and the deaf kids used to communicate. But their favorite thing was to go marching in fancy schmancy formations across the campus of the blind school. You know, like football games, all that in and out, marching, they did that. And they would do that to their graduation. Well, Daniel said that when he was in blind school in the 20s, he was born in 1902, so he would have been there about 1918 and 1920. About the same time, Reverend Gary Davis was in blind school in Spartanburg, along with Simi Dooley. So he noticed this phenomenon of people, you know, the blind kids and the deaf kids marching around together. The deaf kids could see some of them, so they would lead. And everybody else would do their formation. He had this one song that he made up called, Come Let Us March. song. Come let us march 
What was the relationship with you and some of these? Who were the guys you were really closest with, let's say, emotionally? Not just you know, oh, musically, but that probably you had a relationship with. the closest one I was with emotionally was with Jim. Uh-huh. He never let me get away with nothing. <laughs> and I said, Jim, how much can you see? He said, I can see what I need to see. <laughs> I think I probably worked with Jim not every year or every day or every week, but over the course of 20, from 1970 till, about 1970 until he died in 1988. And he died with gigs on his calendar. Uh, Jim Brewer came from Brookhaven, Mississippi, the same place that the Stripling brothers came from. And in 19, he was born about 1920, same year as my recently deceased Aunt Beattie. Uh, and his parents argued over what kind of music to teach him when he was a kid, because they knew that they'd have to teach him some kind of music because he was blind even as a kid. They took one of his eyes out. The other one had a little spot of vision in it. He never let nobody touch that one. <laughs> he put camphor in it five or six times a day, just keep it clean. And his dad knew that the blues were popular and he said he was going to teach him blues because his dad was a blues player. And his mother said, no, you've got to teach him, got to teach him that gospel because otherwise you're teaching that blues and you just get in with all those sinners and it'll be lost. And, and Jim said, wait a minute. Nobody was ever hurt by a song. And so he did both all his life. He sang, had some folk songs, and he sang a lot of gospel songs. And uh, he, uh, his favorite one, my favorite one that he did. Do you know who it was that did that? Before this time, another year, I may be long gone. Uh, um...
for this time another year I may be long gone in some lonesome graveyard Oh Lord, how long for this time another year I may be long gone in some lonesome graveyard Gabriel, how long? Your trumpet, how long? Before this time, another year, I may be long gone in some lonesome graveyard. That's my favorite one that Jim, that Jim ever sang. That's my favorite gospel song. That's the oldest one. That, I don't know how old that song is, but it sure feels old, you know? And I'm, I, I spent 30 years doing archaeology. I'm into old. Now I am old. So I kind of like being a relic, you know? So how people did, call you sir <laughs> how, how did like what would the did you say to Jim like hey I want to start booking you gigs I want to take you around I mean, how did that um, develop uh, you know he Jim had a d28 that Steve Goodman got him but before he had that he was playing this garage sale Stella plywood parlor guitar and I had one of those great big old K J200 knockoff guitars and I gave that to him and he was pleased at having a guitar like that so him and me became friends real fast and uh, I asked him if it was okay to get him gigs and uh, I, I don't think I started right then. That was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. That was around the time that Dr. King was killed, and shortly after then, I moved out to Detroit. But I ran back into Jim at various points. So in the 70s, I started getting him gigs, really. Uh, and by then, he had the D28 that he got from Steve Goodman. Uh, Michael was booking him then. Well, what, what was his take on, you know, these young white kids who were go, all into he, his music? What was he, was, he was happy with it. Jim worked a lot through the white folk festivals, the middle class college folk festivals, the folk life festivals. And he was self-conscious. He was conscious of himself as a tradition bearer the same as any fiddle player, the same as any cymbalum player, the same as any ballad singer, he understood himself in the same way. So even though for the most part of his living, for the most part of his life, it was chump change on the street, when he became recognized as a touring living example of 
a bygone culture, he took that role to heart. Mm -hmm. The same way that Ishii, the last of his tribe, took his role to heart. He just lived the way he felt he was supposed to, and his life was everybody's lesson. And I think Jim felt the same way. He was, in his way, a music teacher. And, uh... Isn't that something I think you, you do a bit of yourself, don't you? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, should, I, should, I should be that good. One of Jim's songs that he used to get people to sing, so I do that too, uh, he had a version of Amazing Grace. He called it the West Virginia Amazing Grace because one year, him and his wife Fanny went to her people in West Virginia. Okay? They stayed there for a year out in the country in a cabin. See if they could make a go of it. And they would go to church. You know, Jim was a church-going, God-fearing Baptist. And they would go to church. He said they had a way of singing Amazing Grace. They combined it with Floyd Kramer's Last Date. So it was like the Amazing Date. what you call in folklore, you call that a variant. <laughs> it's a variant. <laughs> how, how much do you seek out variants? Do you, are you one of these guys who tries all to find the way all to the versions? deviance. <laughs> <laughs> I studied sociology. I know all about labels. 
<laughs> is your sociology brain on while you're when you hear a song? And always. When you, yeah. Always. Always. So, so what 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 kind of realizations that give you that somebody else might not have had? What what perspective does that? I had about the misfortune the to spend ten years in graduate school. So I know everything about everything, and I can make anything sound like anything else. So I know just enough about 28 different disciplines to get in trouble at all of them. I just have fun, fun with them. I've done field work for the last 50 years. That's where I'm happy, is out in the field. Playing gigs. This is field work, folks. <laughs> what's, what's, uh, what's some of the field work that you, you've done that really sticks out for you? The best piece of field work I ever did was driving, driving Peg Leg Sam. The harmonica player. The harmonica right? player. The guy who did Greasy Green. I drove him from the... We were both at the Kent State folk festival. There's a, there's a little bit of feedback here. Can you, can you hear it? Yeah. You don't want to be sending that out over the radio. People get hurt, you know. Uh, Picnic Sam had this routine about talking hard luck. And it was a lot like the one that the New Lost City Ramblers did. So I put them all together and papered them over with some jokes of my own fashioning. And the whole thing goes like this. Now you folks talk about hard luck. Like, you know what hard luck really is, but folks, I'm going to tell you about hard luck because I was born in hard luck, and I'm going to die in hard luck. And I ain't had nothing but hard luck in between. I'm in such hard luck. That if my daddy was to die, they'd make a mistake and bury me. And if I was to haul off and die, they'd make me walk to the cemetery. I am in such hard luck that if it was raining down soup at this very minute, all of y'all would have a spoon, I'd have a fork. I'm born for hard luck. I was born in the last month of the year, in the last week of the month, last day in the week, last hour in the day, last minute in the hour, last second of the minute, last half a degree in the second, tell you the truth, I was damn lucky I got here at all. I remember the first day I was born, there was just three of us kids laying side by side on the bed. I heard some stomping around in the hall, my daddy come in, took her one good look at us three kids on the bed, calls out to my ma, she's in the kitchen getting dinner. He said, Liza, he said, Come in here and pick out the one you want. We'll drown the rest of them. But it was a good place to come from, nevertheless, except the land was so poor, you had to put fertilizer around the telephone pole before you could speak over the wires. And it was windy out there. It was so windy that one time I looked out the back window, and there's a hand sitting on a fence post with her back to the wind, and the wind was blowing so bad she laid the same egg five times. Well, it didn't have a little age on me when my pa says, son, I'm tired of feeding you around here. You want to get fed, you got to go feed yourself. So he threw me out, and here's what's happened to me since. 
balled down, I've been balled up, I've been knocked down, I've been... I've been squeezed and I've been mooched and I've been cheated I've been held for excise, state dog and syntax I've been made to join the society for John the Baptist The DAR women's corpse, the men's stomach and relief corpse I've worked like heck, I've been worked like heck I've been drunk, got others drunk I've been lied to and lied about, talked to and talked about Sung to and sung about, preached to and preached about, and held up, hung up and doggone, I murdered, lost all I had, part of my furniture. And just because I want to spend some of that, which I did earn, and not have to go beg, borrowing, and stealing. Well, the only reason I'm sticking around is to see what happens next. And if that ain't hard luck, you tell me what is. I was just standing out there on the street corner one day, minding everybody else's business. Along come a big old policeman Well, I was in hard luck anyhow I said, Mr. Policeman Can you tell me what time it is? Up came that headache stick And down across the top of my head God suck it He said, son, it just struck one I said, oh Man, I wasn't here an hour ago And I walked on down the road I saw a crowd of people gathered up in front of the post office There's a man, he had a monkey, had a barrel organ Grinding on the barrel organ Monkeys jumping up and down People throwing dimes and quarters Dimes and quarters I looked over, I said, I wish I was that monkey The man said, don't worry, son You'll get your chance You hold my monkey till I go eat lunch I said, I didn't care if I didn't There I was Riding away on a barrel organ, monkeys jumping up and down, people throwing dimes and quarters, dimes and quarters. A little gal come up with her mama. Mama gave the little gal a nickel, said, Now, honey, take this nickel, give it to the monkey. She looked at the monkey, she looked at me. She said, Mama, must I give this nickel to the monkey or to his daddy? Made me some matter, could have eaten fried chicken. I said, Give me that nickel, kid. We pushed and we pulled, we wrestled and we tussled. Time I got that nickel away from the kid, the Indian was riding on the buffalo. I walked on down the road, I walked into the railroad station, put my money up on the counter. I said, give me a ticket. The man said, where are you going? I said, that ain't your business. Just give me a ticket. Well, I took my ticket and I walked on board that train, sat up, down, crossed my legs, lit up a cigar. In walked that same man with that same monkey. Set him down in my lap. He said, hold my monkey. I said, take this monkey out of my lap. Conductor, you allow monkeys on this train? He said, hush your mouth and ride on. Nobody will know you're on here. I went back and I sat down. Gave the monkey a cigar, the two of us sat there smoking cigars like it was the last thing on earth. After a bit, he began to make significant gestures with his cigar, and I began to respond in kind, and we worked it out. Turns out this was not only an amiable monkey, he was an educated feller, getting a degree in social psychology from the University of Chicago, and he just picked this guy up for a summer gig, you know. Work study. We sat there having a perfectly sane, intelligible conversation, touching on this and that, that and the other. Chicago politics. Is 
That man reached into his inside lapel coat pocket and out come a bottle of white light and took off the top, threw it out the window, drained the bottle, and three swallows threw it out the window, looked over to me and said, Mister, you're ugly. You're the ugliest critter it's ever been my misfortune to meet. Not only were you born in a forest full of ugly trees of an ugly mother who'd be taking ugly pills for nine months prior to your conception, let alone birth, but on the occasion of your natal event, you were struck full in the face by a lightning bolt full of ugly. And they just didn't get you with the ugly stick, buddy. They got you with the whole tree. You're so ugly that when you were born, a doctor slapped your mother. You are so ugly that I looked up the word ugly in the dictionary the other day, and there was your picture right there beside the word. Your ma had to tie a pork chop around your neck to get the dog to play with you. That's right, isn't it? Well, if I had a dog that looked like, oh, never mind. I said, mister, I'm so ugly, my old lady got to take me with her everywhere she goes. Because she can't stand to kiss me goodbye. But you're drunk. I'm drunk. <laughs> you're ugly. I'm still drunk. And you're still ugly. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I won't be drunk anymore you'll still be ugly so why 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 did you head to chicago why didn't you end up in in new york or la what what, what was it about chicago obviously you got to meet a lot of great I, I people but how did that happen i hate la worse well, but I, ha I, I had some friends in Chicago, and my brother was living in Chicago. He's working for IBM downtown. I don't know what the hell he was doing. It was, it was all of these big tape drives going back and forth. I didn't know. Uh, I preferred I, uh, a different reality. One time, the two of us took a drive away somewhere and we ended up in... Moberly, Missouri at a railroad yard and I had had the pleasure of being a brakeman for a summer so I said follow me and we got ourselves back to Chicago and, uh, that was my one and only experience hopping a freight but we did it we did it didn't bump into I any hobos no hobos found, yeah <laughs> we got home it was late at night but we got home uh, I like doing this I like going around to different places and playing these old songs they act like a touchstone in times like these you know it doesn't have to be anything special just something that somebody took the trouble to make up a long time ago and something that other people took the trouble to learn and keep going, you know. I mean, there's great virtuoso performances and then there's other, there's other songs that are more casual, just kind of tossed off. Mm -hmm. A lot of Woody Guthrie's material was just tossed off. One 
Uh, the, I lived in Asheville, North Carolina for several years. I ran a coffee house. Was, I modeled it on the ark and uh, it worked pretty much the same way. But rather than trying to either get a bastion, a stable of locals, a regular gig, or just cater outside people coming around the circuit, I tried to mix it up with the appropriate locals opening for the out-of-town ringer. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it made for a different kind of folk scene. Mm -hmm. In Asheville, where things were allowed to mix, you were allowed to, if you were an old-time musician, you were allowed to play a blues number, and mm -hmm. if you were a ballad singer, you were allowed to sing a bluegrass song. And there weren't the kinds of heavy gen generic restrictions. Uh, at one point, the coffee house was in the Allen Center, which was kind of up the hill by the tunnel there. Mm -hmm. And down the hill was the neighborhood that Thomas Wolfe called The Valley. And The Valley was where young Gene Gant went to find his jelly roll. I went down the valley and I started asking my sneaky folklorist questions. You remember that old guy that used to play blues around here? Sure enough, the first person I asked said, oh, that's old Walt Phelps, he lives right over there. <coughs> I went and looked him up, got him a bag of coal. Him and his wife Ethel, they lived in a one-room shack around the corner of the hill on a, off a little dirt road and they heated with coal. They had a little tin coal stove and that's how they cooked too. And I had them come up to the coffee house and I paid them a hundred bucks. That's more money than they'd seen for a while. So they started hanging around, you know. Uh, old Walt, I asked him how he came up to Asheville, where he was from. He said he was from Lawrence, South Carolina. Lawrence, there's something in the water of Lawrence, South Carolina that makes guitar pickers. That's where Reverend Gary Davis came from. That's where Arthur Guitar Boogie Smith came from. That's where Hunter Holmes lives. That's where it's near where Greenville is, and there's a passel of guitar players in Greenville, Spartanburg, that that whole area of Western South Carolina is thickly, thickly settled with blues players who play raggy style blues, syncopated blues. And Walt played some of those same numbers. He 
he had actually known Gary Davis when he was just a blind kid in his hometown. Walt said, they put the guitar in his hands and he played it. First time, he was six years old, put the guitar in the kid's hands, he went thumb, 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 and then he played Candyman. So I asked Walt, I asked Walt how he'd come to be in Asheville instead of in Lawrence. And he said, when I graduated the fourth grade and my education was complete, I was a man and I had to get a job. And I heard they was hiring for a water boy on this boat catcher tunnel here. So I came up and I was the water boy and I would bring water to the men as they worked. But the worst thing I had to do was get them up in the morning because after work, they'd be skinning them dice and drinking that scrap iron. They wouldn't want to get up. My job to get them up. I'd walk through the barracks where the labor lay asleep and I'd sing my little shack roster song and get them up for the day's work. You've been up all night, highballing round. Daylight come and you want to lay down. Raise up, better raise up. If you's aiming to make all day, raise up. Well, I hate to call you, but I have it to do. Captain, call me and I have to call you. Raise up, better raise up. If you's aiming to make all day raise up. Well, I had a little gal and she didn't want to dance. I put her on the bed, Lord, I made her dance. I hugged her and I kissed her and I made her three spin. Come on, Mama, do the same thing again. Raise up, better raise up. If you's aiming to make all day raise up. Straight in the eye 
said, this day one of us has got to die. Now Samson stepped back, the lion attacked. Samson, he jumped up on that lion's back. Now he bowed that lion, killed a man with his paw. Samson got his hands in that lion's jaw. Did you know Reverend Gary Davis at all? Just a little bit. In fact, part of the time I knew him, it was right here. He stayed with me for two weeks while he played at the Quiet Night, when the Quiet Night was still at um, at um, Gothi. It was right next to Mother Blues. It's 1300 North. I get nods of assent. Everybody was here, you know. Uh, I played it at both places. I played at the Quiet Night when it was on Gothi, and I played at the Quiet Night when it was on Belmont. 
I was very sad to learn that Richard passed away some years ago. Richard did a lot for Chicago. Richard Harding. Uh, he was one of the good guys. He, he employed a lot of musicians. A lot of musicians. Not always as musicians. He employed them anyway. What was it like living living for two weeks with Reverend Gary Davis? Two weeks. He stayed in my apartment. Uh, and the first thing he did was say, get me a pizza. We got him a pizza. Uh, I tried to... Uh, I took him walking around various places, you know. We would just walk. Uh, I just lived a few blocks at that point. I just lived a few blocks from the club, so I, we just walked there. It was in the summer. It was nice. And I'd sort of watch over him. Uh, we managed to walk back, you know. He played there. He played his two weeks. He did some of the most incredible guitar playing I ever saw. At one point, he took his finger and his thumb like separate flat picks, and without even thinking about it, he did two separate runs going away from each other across the guitar, like this. I think I might have been the only person in the room who noticed that he had done that and my eyes were going around in, in, in opposite spinning circles and my jaw was on the floor. Uh, Reverend Davis probably considered himself not the player. You know, so he was just the vessel through which the playing took place. You know. That's what he said about all of his songs. It came to me in a dream came to me as a result of the Holy Spirit. God took something away, God gave something back. When God gave us Reverend Gary Davis, he gave us a teacher. Everybody who ever hung out with Reverend Gary Davis got taught something on the guitar. And usually it would be that Candyman song because he had a unique way of playing it. Um, and he also, he had a kind of a mitzvah, if you know what I mean. When they ordained Reverend Davis, they told him words to the effect of go forth and multiply, make converts. How did he make converts? He found Jewish atheists with bottles of whiskey in one hand and D28s in the other hand. And he taught them to play Candyman. <laughs> and pretty soon they were playing the more advanced pieces and pretty soon they were in their professional lives at least professing a kind of Christianity they never thought they would. <laughs> When I was 18 years old, I went, to the, I went to the Brandeis Folk Festival and for $3.75 in 1964, I saw 
The Jim Queskin Jug Band open up for the new Lost City Ramblers who brought Roscoe Holcomb on the stage, and then there was a break while the Georgia Sea Island singers assembled, and they tore it up for about 45 minutes, and when they went off stage, Dick Waterman or Mitch Greenhill or somebody brought Reverend Davis on, and he tore it up for about 20 minutes, and about halfway through his set, Bessie Jones and them came trooping back upstairs on stage, and they started trucking behind him. And I got to tell you, I saw 500 Jewish teenagers, late teenagers, gravitating left at the time, every single one of them, jumping up and down like so many holy rollers. <laughs> these were the shock troops in the movement, people. These were the, these were the kids that went down south. These are the kids that marched. These were the kids, and they were motivated by representatives of the black church. So, what can I say? What can I say?
God just makes me feel special. I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you. Thank you very much. As long as you're so enthusiastic, I have to tell you also that I'm running a special on my CDs. <laughs> Two for 25. So, Mrs. Cohen, Mrs. Cohen said that the house was too cluttered, I had to get rid of some of them. So I'm running a special. It's on Earwig Records, right? Yeah, yeah. I got, I got a, I got one that's all about Reverend Gary Davis, and I got one that's all about the Dulceola. I was gonna bring the Dulceola, but it was just too cumbersome. Well, I apologize. That's all right. N another time. What's the Dulceola? What's a Dulceola? A Dulceola is a chord zither with 60 strings and hammers like a piano. And according to the advertisements, it sounded like two guitars and two mandolins at once. What it is, is if you can picture an accordion, except instead of having a bellows, it had strings. That's how the dulciola operates. It's a zither, keyed zither, that works like an accordion. If you had the buttons on this side and the keys on this side, and you went like that, then you'd have the layout for the dulciola. And the dulciola was not the instrument that Washington Phillips played, although a lot of people did think so for a long time. The dulciola was this seven chord, two chromatic octave instrument that was made in Toledo between 1903 and 1907. It was made to be suitable for picnics, boat rides, dances, and church functions. Uh, people could play music in the proprietary notation system that they printed up on the third floor of the Toledo Symphony Company between the actual manufactory company where they made the instruments themselves and the place where they printed up the music, the second floor made something like on the order of ivory, ivory snowflakes, ivory soap. Okay, it was a, the Dulceola had the first and third, the Toledo Symphony Company had the first and third floors, and the soap company had the second floor. And they made this funny little instrument. How many of them exist today? How many of them left? Something like 35 or 40 uh, that I know about. Uh, each dulciola is branded with a four-digit number, usually in more than one place. And there are little changes in the instrument as you go along from 1903 to 1904 to 1905. And the numbering actually has a system to it. The four-digit number, the first digit, is the year of the existence of the company. So one is 1903, and two is 1904, and so forth. So the lowest number I found was 1403, made in 1903. And the highest number is 5256, which would be the 500, the 256th one made in 1907, 
the year of the company's demise. Uh, that's how they did things back then, in order. It was rational. These were engineers, piano mechanics. One, one thing is, you know, we've always had the, the Lomaxes and the Seegers, but you mentioned all the, you know, the, the Jewish kids that were turned on by Reverend uh -huh. Gary Davis and stuff. You know, you had people who were a few generations away or one or two away from their old traditional culture. What uh -huh. was it that, was there something that made you think Jews particularly interested in that kind of music? Something that I'm particularly interested in? I'm interested in the wholesale transfer of culture from one generation to the next. That's my job. Mm -hmm. um, I do it in small batches because it's easier that way. I figure I have a better chance of hitting a ramifying spark if I do small groups than if I do large groups. The experience is more intense. What's, what's some of the groups groups that you're really digging into right right now is there oh, something you really oh let me see i have catches your spirit uh i play about 150 gigs a year and most of them are groups about this size mm -hmm. and i like to think that they go away from the experience having learned a thing or two having seen a thing or two Here's a song. We were talking about Washington Phillips, the guy who didn't play the dulciola. <laughs> Washington Phillips recorded in 1927, 28, and 29. And he recorded some of the same songs that Blind Willie Johnson did. They were in the studio at the same time, taking turns. Because it was 120 degrees in the studio. When you used to make, in the old days, when you had to make a 78, the wax had to be soft enough so that the cutter would cut it and make the waveform in the groove. So the studio was real hot. Um, and the folks had to get it right on the first take with soul. This is one of Washington Phillips's pieces, <coughs> which he played on a hand-plucked zither. A mother's last words to her son.
Yesterday when my dear mother did sweetly say You know you're leaving My darling boy, you know you have been Your mother's joy This world is so full of old sin and woe Get in trouble everywhere you go But you know songs you know? I don't know. Maybe a couple of thousand. I've been doing this all my life and I ain't dead yet. <laughs> Do you get them right away? Do they, they come quick to you? Do you have to work at? Yeah, I just, I just keep going. No, I mean you hear a song I, one I time song. and you get it or, or how long? If I like it, I go about learning it. Um, I make up I don't hardly write songs. I figure there are people who specialize in that, and why make a fool of myself, you know? Uh, uh, I've written about two songs that I like. And uh, so I just gave it up as a bad job, and I just do other people's songs. Uh, I mean, they need, just as, just as any performer needs an audience, Writers need interpreters. I kind of specialize in this old blues, but I do other things too. I mean, I could be prevailed upon to play something besides a blues number. Hey, Matt, really great to see you. Sounds great, Andy. Thank you, sir. Coming from you, that is a high compliment. I owe him so much. He was our first guest. Thanks, thanks for coming by, man. Yeah. It started with him. Um, so, what, what do you? So, you see your role as you're kind of you. Set, you sound like you're doing a similar thing to Jim. Well, Jim Brewer was doing, and what some yeah. of these guys are doing. You're carrying something. Well, I take I take this stew pot full of blues and other things around, and I'm on the road eight nine months a year now. Uh, I tell you, if I could 
get 365 gigs, I would do 365 gigs a year. Because it's all one to me. You know, like Woody Guthrie said, between working and singing and fighting, I can't hardly tell the difference. Uh, but, uh, I'm just really happy to be able to do this so far. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice to know that even though I'm slightly Facebook famous, I'm still under the radar, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much for coming. It's just been, it's been a real thank pleasure you, talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been an unalloyed pleasure here. Made, made a lot of people happy by coming. Thank you. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. And I also I want to I want to thank Mark Dvorak back there for giving us being uh, giving us this night. This is usually Mark's night, so thank you. <laughs> thanks a lot to Gunnar Jepsen, who always does awesome sound for us. Thank you very much. And uh, you could see, uh, you could listen to uh, more of these at live at thegrafton.com. A uh, bunch of different folks are on there, and we'll have Andy will be posted up on there. And later on, uh, it'll be on WLUW. And if you go to the Facebook page, live at the Grafton, you could get updates on things like that. And uh, also, like to thank Michael Frank for being here. We've been loving listening to all your recordings, all your work. Thanks for coming. And, and ever, anybody else who I might have left out, thanks for coming. <laughs> Thank you. How about we do a song or two more and we'll call it a night? It sounds good to me. It's been a pleasure.
Let me tell you people Something I want you to do When you think that you're down and out Just keep on punching through Back of my feet after a while I won't be down Back of my feet after a while Spreading the news around Back of my feet after a while one without picks. This one is the, this is the mystery lick in all of blues. In order to do this song, I have to go into a trance. So if I appear to disappear, if I'm not here on stage, I'm just, don't, don't worry about it. I'm just off in the ether.
gal, she take my loving on. You know my gal, she take my loving on. Hero baby, and I swear I won't be here